Hello, I'm Nick Bircher and this is the Nordic Future Makers podcast, a series of chats and conversations about innovation, tech and digital marketing, all with people who are doing amazing things in the Nordic region and Nordic people who are doing amazing things elsewhere in the world. So today's guest, he's a clinical psychologist, he's a chief psychological officer, he's a creativity researcher, and he's also a museum creator. So I'm very happy to say, Samuel West, welcome to the Nordic Future Makers podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Before we go into everything, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please? Well, when you introduced uh, the podcast as Nordic Future Makers, I'm like, yeah, I can't. I, I'm, I'm very Nordic. I'm, I'm born in Norway, half Icelandic. I've lived most of my adult life in Sweden with a view of Denmark from my home and office. And I'm married to a Finnish woman. So the only thing I don't have is the Faroe Islands. So yeah. So you're the most Nordic, Nordic future maker I think we've ever had. So excellent. But I'm also half American. So that kind of balances it out, right? Okay. And then professionally, I mean, yeah, you, you, I've done a lot of things. I'm one of those people that's not particularly good at anything, but I've done a lot. And yeah, the most recent, what occupies all of my time now is uh, Museum of Failure. So, so you've kind of got this, this background of your PhD and all of those sort of things at Lund University Mm -hmm. and then the psychology and different things like that. But, but your big thing for the last few years has been, you've been the curator and you've been the, the guy running and managing Mm. and touring with the, the museum of failure. Yes. That takes most of my time. Okay. So, I mean, the museum of failure uh, started I mean, I was doing my PhD in uh, creativity, organizational creativity and innovation uh, in Lund. And you know, despite all the different sort of processes, theories, models, creativity and innovation consultants out there, there still seemed to be something that was, that was wrong in all of these sort of models uh, for enhancing or boosting organizational creativity and that that boiled down to people being afraid of failing of being afraid of you know losing face so to speak within their team so that so the 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 idea to the museum of failure came you know was born in all the research there for you know identifying how organizations can improve climates for creativity okay so there's this whole thing about companies need to keep innovating to stay fresh or, or relevant and, and useful and, and all of those sort of things. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, and innovation has become such a, it's, it's used so much that um, it's sort of lost a lot of its meaning because it's, you see it everywhere, even when it's not, has nothing to do with innovation. And it's more like a corporate buzzword. And that's a shame because I mean, it's still the number one. If you ask, if you ask, there was a recent IBM survey um, that asked uh, global CEOs what's the most important elements for future success or the success their company's success in the future, and every single one of them said innovation. 
which sort of tells us something about the priorities of like what they say is important. Then, of course, we all know that in practice, it, it looks quite different. And I think one of the things that really comes across from the museum is it's not a collection of failures. It's more of a a storytelling thing, a thing around innovation needs to be a continual process of improvement. Mm. It's this innovation as a, as a process and a journey and all those sort of things is what really came across. Yeah. And I mean, each, each one of the artifacts or the objects at the museum, I mean, when we started in um, 2017, I think we had about, I think there was about almost a hundred items, but today there's over 200 items in the, in the museum. And I mean, what I think is, you know, having been working with this for, you know, five, six years, the what's really clear to me is that it is the stories. It's the stories behind these these services, these 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 products. That's the fascinating part and how innovation, it's tricky. I mean, it's really tricky. And even the the biggest, baddest companies in the world, you know, at the top of their game, they also find it tricky it's still that sort of in the corporate world of sort of rational processes everything is based on reason and logic when it comes to innovation it's sort of those rules those principles don't really apply right so so the museum itself it's a collection of things from over the years that have been examples of companies trying new things that maybe haven't worked out the way that they hoped for mm, at that point. Exactly, exactly. I mean, there's a, it's an academic definition of failure, but I really like it. And it's uh, that I use as one of the criteria for, for objects being included in the museum. It is that failure is, is defined as a deviance from expectant it's when things don't turn out as you expected it or wanted it to, but it can be something else. So a failure, it can be an economic failure, but a humanitarian success. And a failure can be a failure in one context, but a success in another. So failure in itself, even defining failure is not a straightforward process. So, so there were some Apple ones that were interesting <laughs> as well. There was two Apple products that... I don't think people, many people have heard of. There was the Apple Newton mm-hmm. and the Apple Pippin. Yeah. And they're both in the museum. So yeah. can you tell us a bit more about those? So the Apple Pippin uh, is the is Apple's, I think it was the first, it was their sort of, uh, uh, their attempt to break into the gaming console uh, market. So it was, um, it was co-created with a, a Japanese company called Bandul. And... The console was technically way advanced. So it was way better than anything else on the market. But it also cost twice as much. I think it was at least twice as much. And people were not willing to pay for that. And on top of it, there weren't that many games, which is kind of a problem if you're selling video games or consoles. Right. So expensive device, but... No content. Yeah, very and of high quality as well, but no content or limited content. And, you know, the consumers for at the time at least were not willing to spend let's let's remember back then electronics were more expensive than they are now. So that that console was prohibitively expensive for consumers. 
Apple just didn't get anything right with that one. Kind of, if you compare the launch of the iPhone to that, where expensive product compared to what else was on the market, mm. but it launched with the App Store with all of those apps and all of that content, and it almost feels like it, it's the progression from a really good gaming console mm-hmm. that had no content mm. to the next big product ends up being a phone that has more content than you can ever imagine or ever, ever use. So you so you have great technology but no no content. What I think is interesting is that Apple and many other companies have done the same mistake. Nokia did the same mistake with their gaming mobile called the Nokia Engage in two thousand three two thousand four. Um, the interesting thing is both Apple and Nokia should have learned from Sony's mistake that they did back in the in the early eighties with the Betamax VHS format wars so sony they they launched the betamax which was technologically superior to the vhs but but vhs or jvc that manufactured vhs they they you know collaborated collaborated with the movie studios to ensure that there was plenty of content now sony they learned from this mistake so when they launched the cd rom uh, or cd the music cd years later before they had this new technology, but before they launched it, they bought CBS records. So when the CD music CD was launched, there was already loads of content and the CD became a phenomenal success. So it, what I think is interesting is that this, if companies were better at learning from their own failures and failures of others, they could have avoided many of these failures. So, so it's like just looking backwards is not... It's not just for nostalgia. You can actually learn from other people's or other companies' mistakes without doing them yourself. Interesting. And the, there's this whole theme of you could have the best technology, but you need content. Definitely. But if you have content and you can't distribute it, then again, <laughs> so it's kind of the, the device and the content and yeah. go go hand in hand with, with all of these. Definitely. I think that whole thing of everything starts somewhere, though, as a red thread, everything kind of needs to begin somewhere. It's something you see in a, a few different places. And there was um, an example of virtual reality, personal virtual reality in the museum as well, isn't there? Are you thinking about the Nintendo Virtual Boy? Yes, the, the, red, the, tabletop. the tabletop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so if you can talk us through, first of all, how did it work? So it wasn't glasses or a mask that you put on your head. It was no. a virtual reality system that had to be fixed to a table. You could describe it as goggle, like a, a headset, but it was it was on it was on a stand, a desk stand. So you didn't actually attach it to your head. You more like looked into it, um, and it was awkwardly designed. So it was, you know uncomfortable for adults and for children to use sort of the height that was a minor concern the main concern was that the virtual the virtual reality was you know monochrome i think it was uh, amber or green one color uh very primitive obviously at the time uh graphics and the problem was it caused uh, uh headaches uh and uh eye fatigue so they had to actually, in, in the American versions, had to have warning text that don't use more than, I can't remember, like whatever, the 30 minutes or 20 minutes at a time. So Nintendo Virtual Boy, 
there's a lot of criticism. It didn't. It turned out to be an economic disaster for Nintendo. The interesting thing is that Nintendo they dared. They they pushed the boundaries. They were willing to take that risk, uh, you know, to test it, and they failed. And and they've been very. Uh, Nintendo has been really open about we we take bold risks, and of course sometimes because of that we fail. They after the Virtual Boy they launched the. The power glove. Do you remember that? I don't remember that, but tell us more. Yeah, it was a. It came. It was launched after the Virtual Boy. It was a. It was a glove. It went sort of up your forearm, and it had like you could gesture. So um, it was like a, an early attempt of, of sort of moving away from the keyboard or the or the mouse joystick. And it had buttons on the on the hand, and you could actually use the hand to 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 control the, the games. It didn't work either. Uh, it used antennas that would be placed around the TV, and it was very it was almost impossible to get it to work. And when it did work, it didn't work very well. So that was another failure, sort of at virtual reality. Um, and then. After that failure, Nintendo's like, yeah, no, you know, hey, this was an expensive mistake, and they kept they kept at it, um, and then they launched one of the most successful uh, gaming consoles of all time, the Nintendo Wii, which then sort of combined everything that they'd learned into a fantastic gaming console. So that's a that's an example of how taking these bold risks and risking failure turned for Nintendo being open about and learning from their mistakes actually turned it into a fantastic success. Not all of these objects in the museum are like that though. A lot of them just end in failure. <laughs> so, so in that case, you've got something where there's a virtual reality device fixed to the kitchen table on some <laughs> kind of tripod. On desk, yeah, yeah. You have to crouch down to put your eyes to it. Yep. You can only use it for a certain amount of time and yep. it's only in one color. But somehow from there, through the iterations and experimenting and, and keep pushing it forward, they end up with the Wii and all of these other things as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I found there were kind of three different levels of things that I, I saw. There were failures that were failures because they were ahead of their time. Mm. There were failures that were okay, maybe hadn't worked then, but were important stepping stones on a journey to a success. And then there were failures that were, I think you probably call them failures. So <laughs> that first one ahead of their time, Boo.com, so the fashion retailer with a virtual assistant. Oh, the Boo.com is is probably the most interesting of these. Uh, the Swedish company, Boo.com, they sold sort of high-end clothes and shoes. And this is way before anything, anything. They were pioneers in e-commerce. And the website had, you know, you could look at objects in the, the merchandise in, in not 3D, but sort of semi-3D. And they even had an avatar. I think, I can't, I think her name was Mrs. Boo. And she, I'm, I might be making this up, but this avatar they created a narrative around her so she would go on trips she was fashion conscious obviously and she gave recommendations and tips on what people should buy this was like this was back in at the turn of the century this is way before anything that we any of the websites we shop at now uh, were even conceived and they the, everything collapsed because you know the 
they were way ahead of their time, but they were also pioneers. They were even ahead of their time in the way everything was financed because they got so much money from investors that they, like many other companies after them, one of their main issues was trying to spend the investors' money as fast as possible. I've just, um, I actually found, I read the book many years ago about Boo.com. Yeah, yeah. And there's a bit in this about um, Miss Boo. Oh, it, it was Miss Boo. I got it, it right. Miss Boo, okay. you were right. So, and it says, um, everyone lost their hearts to our virtual sales assistant, Miss Boo. Her picture was everywhere. It seemed only a matter of time before she would follow in the footsteps of Nicole Kidman and appear on the cover of Vogue. I mean, th- okay, th- this sounds insane, you know, when you read it. But at the time, Boo, they were, they were the hottest thing in, in, you know, they were the hottest thing on the internet for e-commerce, for sure. So it wasn't unrealistic. I mean, it's easy to laugh at it in hindsight but at the time it wasn't it was boo was the hottest ticket in town one of the visitors at the 2017 the original sort of launch of the museum in sweden had was was an as a back-end engine uh, developer for boo.com and we had a nice conversation <laughs> he said obviously there's multiple reasons for the for why boo uh didn't succeed but i mean one major reason was uh, they had zero logistics. I mean, they had they had the storefront, but when somebody ordered some shoes, they had no idea how to ship it. Like, oh, oh, somebody bought some shoes. <laughs> what are we gonna do? <laughs> but uh, but again, it was they were new. They were the first. Yeah, no one else the had faced these problems before, had they? Which I mean, and they they so the, it's easy. I mean, somebody can be first. That's 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 great. Good for you, but. Boo.com, they were not only first, but they they were very bold. So they they despite being first, they had no problems thinking three, ten steps ahead. And I think that that thing of you need pioneers, you need things things have to start somewhere. Definitely. Do you think um, the Nordic region kind of lends itself to innovation more than perhaps other parts of the world? And, and that's what explains all, all the startups that are coming in in Stockholm and southern Sweden and Copenhagen and Norway. And Helsinki, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a different... I mean, there's multiple answers to your question, but one one factor, and I think it's quite strong, is the uh, sort of how... F- the control and hierarchy within organizations. So most Swedish companies are quite low and there's, there's a low degree of hierarchy. They call it in Swedish flat organizations. And there's something about that, that not lack of respect, but that sort of quite dismissive of hierarchy in general. That's one element. The other one is that there is compared to, Southern Europe, Mediterranean countries, this the Nordic countries and the Netherlands specifically have a less uh, they're less afraid of failure than in no, I'm talking about organizational context now mm. they're less afraid of failure than the Southern European countries. So so there are differences there in the, sort of the acceptance of of failure and being transparent. And I think one major element there is uh, a, a term called psychological safety. So 
it's a it's a it's a concept that's been researched uh, quite a bit last 20 years um but that's basically about um the degree of safety that you experience within a team and that safety to to voice your opinion to ask stupid questions to to be ignorant on a certain uh, uh question or, or in a certain on a certain issue um that that feeling of being able to sort of be yourself um your full self in a in a work context without being punished by others so and one of those elements is is admitting and being able to discuss your own failure or incompetence and sweden has very high psychological safety uh, or not just sweden specific but the nordic countries compared to southern europe okay so it's a combination of social factors environmental factors work kind of setup definitely L- lots of different things there's no one i mean i mean if you look at the degree sort of the the way a typical swedish uh employee interacts with their boss or the owner of the company is quite different from how a german or swiss employee interacts with their boss but but even in school i was horrified to see swedish school children and their teachers are on first name terms yeah <laughs> because that would never happen if you were in the uk or anything where no i would you would get you would get punished for that in the states calling your teacher Karin. <laughs> yeah it, it's mr west yes. or it, or it's something you know, professor or doctor or at no point would if you were my teacher would i be calling you samuel no or anything like that hey sam what's up <laughs> yeah exactly that whole maybe, maybe there's something with all of those things but there's definitely something in in the air or the water or, or something that's conducive to people being able to think more openly, being able to be more transparent, things like that, which I find fascinating. Definitely. Um, and, and there's something about, um, there's something about, there's those elements and the fact that uh, just the past 10 years that there's actually uh, some money available. So for the startup community, historically, even in Scandinavian countries, Nordic countries, there's been, it's been very difficult for them to get, uh, to get, uh, cap to get money and that's that's changed recently and that's a huge factor as well because one of the problems i just read an article on uh, innovation in italy predominantly in northern italy milan area where you know they do have the creative people they do have the fantastic ideas they have the skills and competence but there's no money so they can't do anything they have to go to to sweden or united states to to start their companies okay but then the Nordics, it's Sweden's open economy. You have the global companies funding an yes. ecosystem. You have the spillover from you know, Spotify and all the yeah. big startups and, and Nokia, et cetera, et cetera. Definitely. So, well, it's, I mean, there are so many different things you're, you're doing. So, so the, the whole museum is this collection of different items and examples, and there are tech things that, there's strange food things. There are all the all these different things in in the museum. And and where where is the museum? So I saw it in Helsingborg, yeah. in Sweden, southern Sweden. It's been travelling and touring around since then, hasn't it? Yeah. So the 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 museum doesn't have a, a fixed uh, permanent location. 
So it, it opens about two, three months in each destination or each city. It just closed in southern France, in Saint-Étienne. There was a small exhibit in Washington, D.C. for a while, focusing on sort of the Scandinavian or Swedish uh, elements. And the, the next opening will be in November in Minneapolis in the United States. And I think it's the 25th of December, it'll open in Taiwan as well. Cool. So yeah, after COVID, COVID uh, made everything, I mean, everything was closed during COVID, but um, now things are picking up again. Okay, so it's touring around the US, Asia, Europe, and okay, so it's online or it's hopefully in a city near you at some point. Yeah, if you live in Minneapolis or Taiwan, it's definitely near you. <laughs> It's open. The, the the tour schedule is is set. I mean the the for 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 you know a, a half a year in advance. So things that look quite promising for the for the the continued tour. So it should it should open in a city near you. Cool. And then you're also doing corporate things with speeches and conferences. Yeah. And I, mean, I make my, most of my income comes from doing doing keynote talks. Uh, and sort of pop up, pop up events. So lo- lots and lots of things to keep you busy. Yeah, that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. And for everyone else, I think Samuel is another great example of a Nordic future maker, someone who's really pushing the boundaries of innovation in lots of different ways. Thank you for your time today. This is fun. Thank you for having me.